0: Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe, Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge pre-owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of... Eye on defense, 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 defense. <clears throat> All right, we're back. It's episode 225. This is 4 Feb, early morning 4 Feb. I thought I'd get to two episodes this weekend, and looks like I'll, I'll be able to do that. Nine or eight or nine stories, uh, SITCOM stuff up front, got a good kind of a I don't know if it's an op ed, but comments from a former CENTCOM commander on what he thinks is going on over there. Pretty good. We'll get to that. Uh, Hamas story, what's going on in Gaza. And then some air defense stuff, a little bit of UCOM, a little bit of Indo and a couple of domestic stories at the end. About eight or nine. 30 minutes, 37 minutes, 44 minutes, something like that. Uh, we'll get started with CENTCOM stuff. So, CENTCOM Twitter. X, uh, U.S. CENTCOM destroys anti-ship cruise missile in Yemen. This is from 4 Feb, <coughs> excuse me, today, local time, 4 Feb. On 4 Feb at approximately 4 a.m. local time, U.S. CENTCOM forces conducted a strike in self-defense against the Houthi anti-ship cruise missile prepared to launch against ships in the Red Sea. U.S. forces identified the cruise missile in Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen and determined it presented an intimate, imminent threat to U.S. Navy ships and merchant vessels in the region. This action will protect freedom of navigation and make international water safer and more secure for U.S. Navy vessels and merchant vessels. And then later, 4 Feb, U.S. forces and allies conduct joint strikes in Yemen as part of ongoing international efforts to respond to increased Iranian-backed Houthi destabilizing and illegal activities in the region on 3 Feb at approximately 11.30 p.m., Local time, US CENTCOM forces along with UK Armed Forces and with the support from Australia, Bahrain, Canada, Denmark, the Netherlands, and New Zealand conduct conducted strikes against thirty six Houthi targets at thirteen locations in Iranian backed Houthi terrorist controlled areas of Yemen. These multilateral coalition strikes focused on targets in Houthi controlled Yemen used to attack international merchant vessels and U.S. Navy ships in the region. These Iranian-backed Houthi targets include multiple underground storage facilities, command and control, missile systems, UAV storage and operational sites, radars, and helicopters. These strikes are intended to degrade Houthi capabilities used to continue their reckless and unlawful attacks on U.S. and U.K. ships, as well as international commercial shipping in the Red Sea, Babel mandeb Strait, and the Gulf of Aden. These strikes are separate and distinct from multinational freedom of navigation action performed under Operation Prosperity Guardian. And a little bit more on that, and we'll be done with that topic. This is from USNI, where we get our news. Heather Mongilio, uh, 3 Feb, updated at 10.34, probably Eastern Time. United States destroyers, fighters joined a multinational strike against 36 Houthi targets that was referred to earlier. Along with the UK and CENTCOM forces, 36 Houthi targets at 13 locations in Yemen. The, this article kind of gets in a little, little more detail. Uh, two U.S. destroyers and F-A-18EF Super Hornets flying from the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower CVN 69 Joined in a multinational strike on 13 locations in Yemen, USNI News has learned. Guided missile destroyers USS Carney DDG-64 and USS Gravely DDG-107 fired an unspecified number of Tomahawk land-attack missiles at Houthi targets in Yemen, while the Super Hornets used direct, joint direct-attack munitions against targets, a defense official confirmed to USNI News on Saturday. Uh, The U.S. and U.K. forces struck targets with support from Australia, Bahrain, Canada, Denmark, Netherlands, and New Zealand, according to a Pentagon statement. At 4 a.m. Sunday local time, CENTCOM forces struck Houthi anti-ship cruise missile that was posed to launch against Red Sea ships, according to a CENTCOM release. We read that uh, for their part. The other side, the Houthis, the Houthis promised retaliation for U.S. strikes, according to a post on social media Site X by spokesman Brigadier General Yagasari. Here's this quote These attacks will not deter us from our moral, religious, and humanitarian stance in support of the steadfast Palestinian people in the Gaza Strip and will not pass without response and punishment, uh, reads the post. And that's it. Uh, that's kind of the latest and greatest. Now, here's this, uh, I'd, I'd say, uh, I'll just do the article. It's uh, from Riyadh Kawaji, 1 Feb, uh, Breaking Defense. We've never done an article from him before. Uh, the deterrence problem America took its eyes off Iran with Indo-PACOM pivot, ex-CENTCOM chief said. So they've got some stuff from a four-star general retired, Votel, who was the CENTCOM commander, And he's got his, he's going to give us his take on what's going on right now. Uh, The article goes on with some uh, think tank experts that brings in Israel and U.S. talking about uh, Iran and stuff like that. I don't want to get to that. I only want to pay attention to the CENTCOM, former CENTCOM commander, General Votel. So I'm only doing about half the article because the other half of the article is the think tank people. It's a long article, but not too bad once we stick to General Votel stuff. Uh, So... Here we go. The rapid escalation. And of course, uh, the article assumes, that's not true. The article goes into kind of some detail on what's been going on in the Red Sea, uh, what's going on up in, in Gaza and stuff like that. It catches you up on that. But if you listen to the show more than two episodes, you already know what's going on with that stuff. So I won't get into that either. Uh, the rapid escalation of violence by Iranian proxies against the United States and Israel in the Middle East since 7 October is a result of failure of deterrence that reaches back into years of foreign policy shifts by the United States and lack of direct action against Iran for its aggressive behavior at the time. That's according to top U.S. general in the Middle East and other experts. We're only going to consider the top U.S. general in the Middle East. His name is uh, Joseph Votel. He was a former CENTCOM commander, U.S. Army. Uh, Here's a quote. I think the problem with all these strikes in Iraq in Syria and the Red Sea is that we, United States, has failed to directly hold Iran accountable. That's from General Joseph O'Tell, former U.S. CENTCOM chief. He tells Breaking Defense. More quotes, We need to strike back at the groups perpetrating these attacks, but we also have to recognize that Iran is behind all these attacks and we must use all forms of national power to hold them accountable. Uh, although it's unclear how much direct control Tehran has over these proxy forces that the U.S. says it trains, funds, and equips, and for their part, Iran is denied involvement with the violence, in view of Votel and other experts, a more robust deterrence of Iran is likely to have dissuaded much of the current violence. According to Votel, who headed U.S. forces in the Middle East, SINCCOM commander, between 2016 and 2019, there was a time when the United States did have an effective deterrent strategy that was primarily focused on the Iranian nuclear weapons program. This strategy, he added, brought the Iranians to the table for negotiations, and we prevented regional conflict between Iran and Israel. It was successful because we combined military pressure with significant diplomatic, informational, and economic actions. I think he means dime. Sometimes you hear referred to that as dime. Uh, diplomatic, and, uh, inf- informational, military, and economic. Uh, moving on, in Votel's view, problems started when U.S. administration under President Barack Obama decided to pivot to Asia and reduce involvement in the Middle East region. As we began to pull back from the region and focus on challenges in the Indo-Pacific, we did not put sufficient attention into maintaining this level of deterrence against iranian malign behavior, he said. Votel. Furthermore, the ad- a bomb administration focused only on brokering agreement on the Iran nuclear program while negre- neglected the growing threat of its proxy groups in the region. Additionally, our main concern was about the nuclear program and not about all the real activities that Iran was pursuing, especially their robust support to proxies, and this more than nuclear weapons became Iran's primary way of exporting their revolutionary ideology across the region, added Votel. Uh, Almost done. uh, Critics of the Iranian nuclear deal at the time said it did not do enough to restrict Iran's malign behavior in the region unrelated to nuclear issues, an argument that then-President Donald Trump made when he withdrew the United States from the nuclear deal in 2018. Uh, uh, Let's see. Hassan al-Hassan, senior fellow at Middle East Policy, uh, agreed with uh, Votel's analogy about the Pacific pivot after witnessing the robust U.S. deterrence under the administration of uh, George W. Bush and the global war on terrorism and the invasion of Iraq. The Obama pivot to Asia revealed a sharp drop in interest by Washington in the region, which encouraged Iran and its proxies to become bolder in their actions against American interest in the region. It was pointed out the sharp public differences between U.S. officials over foreign policy and the worry of the American people about suck, being sucked into another Middle East war were perceived by Tehran as signs of U.S. weakness and encouraged the Iranians to use its proxies to target U.S. forces as well as other U.S. allies in the region. Um, it's hard to effectively implement deterrence if your adversary doesn't believe you're willing to escalate. American deterrence problem in the region is not about lack of firepower. It's lack of political will, and Iran can see that quite clearly. And that's pretty much it. So some of that was Votel saying, you know, pivot to Asia, and we're not using all of the uh, all the levers of power that the United States has to control Iran. And I think Iran can smell that the United States doesn't want another war in the Middle East and that they're going to do what they want because they know, United States is not willing to go to the mat, so to speak. That's kind of the gist of what I get that. Anyway, move on. What's next? We'll do one uh, Gaza story. Times of Israel. Uh, Hamas moves to reassert power in Gaza City, areas from which Israeli forces have withdrew. So we know that up in northern Gaza, Israel has moved some uh, forces out. And in that power vacuum, the Israeli IDF moving out. Hamas is starting to move back in. That's what this story is about here. Uh, 3 February. Times of Israel. Hamas has begun to resurface in areas where Israel withdrew the bulk of its forces a month ago, deploying police officers, excuse me, and making partial salary payments to some of its civil servants in Gaza city in recent days. Signs of a Hamas resurgence in Gaza's largest city underscore the terror group's resilience despite Israel's deadly air and ground campaign since 7 October. Uh, Israel said it is determined to crush Hamas and prevent it from returning to power in Gaza, an enclave of ruled since 2007. In recent days, IDF has renewed strikes in western and northwestern parts of Gaza City, including areas where some of the salary distributions were reported to have taken place. Uh, four Gaza City residents told the AP that in recent days, uniform and plain clothes. Police officers deployed near police headquarters and other government buildings, including the Shifa Hospital. The residents say they see the return of civil servants and subsequent Israeli airstrikes near makeshift offices. The return of the police marks an attempt to reinstate order in the devastated city after Israel withdrew a significant number of troops from northern Gaza last month, a Hamas official told AP. The officials said the group's leaders had been given directions to reestablish order in parts of the north where IDF have withdrawn, including by helping prevent the looting of shops and houses abandoned by residents. Uh, let's see. Here's a quote from a resident. He says a cousin of his received funds from a makeshift Hamas office near the hospital that was set up to distribute $200 payments to government employees, including police officers and municipal workers. Uh, Seizing control of Gaza nearly 17 years ago, Hamas has been operating a government bureaucracy with tens of thousands of civil servants, including teachers, traffic cops, and civil police who operate separately from the terror group's secretive military wing. Partial salary payments of $200 for at least some government employees signals that Israel has not been able to deliver a knockout blow to Hamas, even though the IDF says it has killed more than 10,000 operatives in Gaza, along with 1,000 that were killed in Israel on 7 October. Uh, Here's kind of the IDF view of it. Following an assessment in northern Gaza on Thursday, the chief of IDF Southern Command, Major General Finkelman, told troops that the army will continue to battle, battle Hamas in the area, despite having focused on other locations recently. Here's a quote from the Major General. Our ability to operate here in the heart of Gaza City again, after we left to attack other areas, and our ability to return here and operate powerfully against these important targets while striking many dozens of terrorists in recent days is an important ability. and We will continue to do it. His comments came after Army Radio reported that the IDF was planning to bolster troop activity in northern Gaza in the coming weeks amid it- indications that Hamas was attempting to reestablish military presence there. And that was pointed out by rocket fire emanating from the area on Sunday and a recent gun battle near the coastline in which five Hamas members were killed. Uh, The IDF was planning to carry out brigade-level raids on areas where Hamas is attempting to retake northern redoubts, which may include broad operations where needed, a report noted, a shift from recent weeks in which the Army was mainly concerned about hunting down weapons, tunnels, and small pockets of remaining resistance. I mean, if they're doing brigade operations again, in northern Gaza, what the heck? Uh, renewed fighting in the north would likely complicate plans to begin allowing Gazas to return to northern Gaza. Uh, this report quoted a defense source blaming the lack of plans for civil body to manage affairs in northern Gaza as a major factor for Hamas being able to move in and return to refill the power vacuum. Here's an unnamed source that says if there was a party able to deliver the goods in the north, Hamas would become irrelevant. A Channel 13 news report last month said IDF Chief of Staff Halavi had a similar assessment, warning Israel's leaders that gains made over months of fighting could be eroded due to a lack of plan for post-war management. Uh, The alleged comments by Halavi in recent weeks were reflective of consternation among military analysts and others regarding the lack of penetration, I'm sorry, penetration, preparation. For a so-called day after in Gaza, as Israel winds down the intensive phase of military campaigns against Hamas, which, though weakened, remains in power. Uh, Here's a a quote from Halavi. We are facing erosion of gains made thus far in the war because no strategy has been put together for the day after. The IDF has assessed that fighting in Gaza will last likely through all of 2024 as Israel works to strip Hamas of its military and governing capabilities. And the IDF and Israel has vowed to continue fighting until all remaining hostages are released from captivity. Of course, in the background, there's all these hostage deals supposedly going on. Uh, International mediators continue to work on wide gaps between Israel and Hamas over a proposed hostage release deal put forth this week, nearly four months since Hamas and other terrorists carried out their murderous onslaught on southern Israel. According to reports on the proposed agreement, the return of Israeli hostage would be accompanied by extended pauses in fighting and Israel's release, release of Palestinian security prisoners. And we'll stop right there. So all that work and he might have to go back and do it again. That's got to be frustrating. And, uh, now we'll turn to UCOM. That's it for uh, for CENTCOM. 18 minutes of CENTCOM, folks. 18 minutes. Uh, first we'll do is uh, defense posts. We haven't done a story from them in around a while. We've got some air defense stuff. Then we'll go to Indo, uh, Indo-PACOM and talk about Korean jets. And India. And then two domestic stories. Mm, 35 minutes, I'm guessing. So here we go. NASA's. Norway orders Kansberg NASAMS in $134 million deal. Defense Post, Justin, D- Jester Domingo, 2 Feb. Norway has ordered new National Air Advanced Surface to Air Missile Systems, also known as NASAMs from Kansberg under $1.4 billion kroner deal or $134 million U.S. deal. Uh, The agreement lists new multi-missile canister launchers, new fire distribution centers for the country's NASMs, replacing equipment donated to Ukraine in 2023. Here's a quote from the defense minister from Norway, uh, Jorn Grom. He said the deal underlines the importance of reacquiring integral air defense capabilities. Uh, These are investments that secure the country. The war in Ukraine has shown how important air defense is. And before Christmas, the Norwegian government was able to present a record order for air defense to the Norwegian Armed Forces. We have taken extraordinary measures to speed up this acquisition, he shared. Deliveries for the air defense systems are set to begin in 2026 and end the following year, 26 to 27. A developed by Konsberg and Raytheon, the NASAMS is a ground-based air defense system capable of neutralizing short and medium miss- medium-range missiles, drones, and fixed-wing aircraft. Uh, the missile system consists of a command post, an active 3D, 3D radar, a passive EOIR sensor, which means electro-optical infrared sensor, and missile canister launchers with advanced medium-range air-to-air missiles. Currently, 13 countries use the NASAMS, including Indonesia, Spain, the UK- Ukraine, and the United States. That's a good, short, and sweet story there. I'm going to drink some water. Thank you. Now, we're on to Italy for air defense stuff. This is from Rudy Rutenberg from Defense uh, News, 1 Feb. Italy orders four SAMT-T new generation air defense systems. Europe's Organization for Joint Armament Cooperation signed a contract for four SAMT-T, NG, air defense systems for Italian Army, as well as other armed forces across the continent, to continue upgrading their missile defense systems. An amendment to existing framework contract also includes upgrading Aster air defense missiles for Italy's Army and Navy, prepares future serial production for SAMP TNG systems for the French Air Force, and covers UK buying more equipment for the midlife of their Aster interceptors. A little bit about the SAMP TNG system has a detection range of 350 kilometers, and intercept range of 150 kilometers, and can engage multiple targets at the same time. The system uses MBDA's Aster missile, uh, 450K two-stage interceptor, length of 16 feet. That can reach Mach 4.5 and is capable of high-G maneuvers. A complete SAMP-TNG system includes a radar uh, with 360-degree coverage, command and control module, and as many as six launchers, each fitted with 8 Aster ASTOR-30 missiles. Uh, Battery requires 20 crew members. Each launcher can fire eight missiles in about 10 seconds. Holy cow. Russia's evasion of Ukraine has created urgency among European countries to beef up their air defenses, as well as replace systems donated to Ukraine. We just talked about that with uh, uh, Norway. Germany has rankled French sensitivities by proposing Iris-T systems by Deal Defense and U.S.-made Patriot Systems for European Sky Shield Initiative rather than SAMP-T, developed by Thales, and missile maker MBDA. We're kind of getting off the subject here. We went from Italy getting these SAMP-T missiles to a kind of a, a broader framework of air defense in Europe. Because, you know, you got the Germans making the Iris T, the Americans making the Patriot, Norway making the Nassims, and then the French making this uh, Samp-T. French President Emmanuel Macron in June warned against rushing to buy air defense capabilities as purchasing off the shelf would mean a lot of non-European equipment. Uh, He's looking at you, Patriot. He called the war in Ukraine a brutal reminder of the vital defensive nature, uh, f- vital nature of air defense. In addition to SAMT and Iris T, European missile air defense systems, including NASAMS, uh, developed by Konzberg and Raytheon, all three systems, as well as Patriot, have been supplied to Ukraine. Kind of a, kind of a twitchy article there. You know, one minute we're talking about Italy getting four systems, and then we go into Europe's overall plan for air defense and then and then of course you gotta throw ukraine in there somewhere kind of a weird article there the only reason why i did it is because it tied into the consberg one which i thought was interesting from norway uh moving on where we go to next here we go into indo-pacific south korea to start mass production of kf-31 kf-21 fighter jets we kind of did a little bit Talked a little bit about this a few episodes ago. This article gets a little bit more detail. Leilani Chavez, Defense News, never done a story from her. To Feb, South Korea will build 40 KF 21 fighter jets this year with US $178.6 million allocated for the Defense Ministry. Uh, the f- mass production of the KF 21 is expected to fill the power vacuum left when South Korea's aging Air Force fighter fleet retires. That's from the Defense minister of 21 December statement. Of course, yeah, I remember doing this story because they're still flying F-4s and F-5s. Uh, the KF-21 is set to replace F-4 and F-5 fleets. As the Air Force plans to have 120 of these Barami, Bar- Barome jets by 2032. And uh, let's see. The fighter's been under development since 2015, but the program did not g- gain much ground until 2020 when assembly for the first prototypes took place. The government hired Korean Aerospace Industries to produce the jet, also known as KAI, and the company sought technological support from American firm Lockheed Martin. The two businesses previously worked together on the FA 50 light attack aircraft. Now, that FA 50 is pretty popular with other folks, uh, that Korean made jet. Getting back to the Kf, uh, KF-21, KF the, the initial flight, inaugural flight of this, took place in 2022. Flight ground and additional tests for the remaining prototypes will continue until 2028 for the KF-21. The same year Air Force squadrons are beginning flying the first batch. So I guess that's IOC of 2028. Uh, South Korea's Defense Acquisition Program Administration and KII have been testing missiles to put on the KF-21. Uh, in December of 2022, it was announced that 190 billion won was going to be spent for the KF-21 to carry long-range missiles. And last year, the agency announced plans to develop short-range air-to-air missiles for the jet to be completed in 2020-2035. Also, KI KAI is. Tested various missile systems up upon agreements with MBDA. The company plans to mount air-to-surface missiles and short-range air-to-air missiles. Following an earlier contract that involved mounting meteor air-to-air missiles on some prototypes. In April, German company Deal Defense announced that KF-21 successfully fired the IRST air-to-air missile. Uh South Korea hopes the KF-21 will become its next next export success. In 2022, KII signed contracts with Poland for 48 F-A-50 light attack aircraft. And then last December, Malaysia ordered 18 of the F-A-50s, block 20. So the F-A-50 is very popular. and They're hoping this KF-21 is just as popular. Uh, South Korea was the ninth largest arms exporter during the 2018-2022. 2018 2022 period according to stockholm international peace research institute and the top customers for south korea are the philippines india thailand as top customers there you go and then while we're talking about india 28 minutes u.s approves four billion dollar deal to sell india 31 mq 9b sky guardian drones lee Farron. One February, breaking the fence, U.S. State Department today notified Congress that it has greenlit the potential for the sale of 31 MQ-9B Sky Guardian drones and related missiles and other equipment to India, in a deal estimated to be worth $4 billion, or just under $4 billion. India's Defense Ministry approved the procurement of the General Atomics-made airframes in June, and the Biden administration has pushed New Delhi over the deal ahead of a state visit by Indian leader Modi. Uh, While president during his tenure, president Joe Biden has pushed for closer defense relations with India as a potential counterweight to American rival, China and Asia in January of 2023, the United States and India announced a critical and emerging technology initiative to elevate and expand strategic technology partnerships and defense industrial cooperation late in 2023 Uh, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin traveled to India where he signed a new defense industrial-based cooperation roadmap. A little bit about the General Atomics MQ-9B Guardian. It's a descendant of the MQ-9A Reaper, 79-foot wingspan. MQ-9B provides enhanced payload capacity and open architecture that enables the aircraft to integrate the most advanced sensor payloads for intelligence gathering, survivability, and even kinetic payloads for a more complex operational environment so it can see and kill basically uh the state department approval of the mq9b sale to india comes as general atomic says is also working with u.s officials to clear the way for another large sale this one for mq9bs to uae an estimated three billion dollar deal that will be wrapped up with a bigger but more controversial f-35 sale All right, two stories left, domestic stories, short stories. Uh, BAE, this is a Marine Corps story. BAE delivered ACV-30 test vehicle to U.S. Marine Corps. Adjusted Domingo 2 FEB defense post. BAE Systems has delivered the first test vehicle of the amphibious combat vehicle, 30-millimeter cannon ACV-30 variant to the U.S. Marine Corps. The delivery is part of an $88 million deal in 2022, covering the initial phase of the ACV-30 initiative. The ACV-30 is the third type of the assault vehicle, equipped with stabilized medium-caliber remote turret system, designed to provide more room for troops and payload while keeping lethality, mobility, and protection. BAE is currently in full-rate production of ACV personnel and command and control variants, and then there's a recovery variant that will provide maintenance recovery and direct, direct field support that's being developed, so they've got a, a command and control, a personnel, and a recovery, and this one we're talking about here is which one? That's the ACV-30. That's the armed one. Well, I'm sure they're all armed, but this has got the 30-millimeter cannon on it. Work for the ACV production and sports taking place in Virginia, California, Michigan, South Carolina, Pennsylvania. Designed by Iveco and manufactured in tandem with BAE, the ACV is an eight wheel drive assault vehicle capable of operating in open ocean environments. The units hit IOC in 2021. That was following a $184 million contract to uh, to deliver 36 ACVs to the force. The ACVs are conceptualized to replace the Marine Corps' assault amphibious vehicles, which have been in service since 1972. Now, I'm try- see, I almost got confused with this. So the, the Marine Corps has got two deals going. They're, they got this thing called the ACV, Amphibious Combat Vehicle, which is replacing the Amphibious Assault Vehicle. So the ACV replaces the AAV. Now, if you're not a Marine Corps, not a Marine, it's, this is like Greek. But if you're a Marine, it's probably all easy. Now, there's also... The Marines are also got this other thing going called the Army, uh, Army the Advanced Reconnaissance Vehicle, which is replacing their lab. That's a separate effort. It's not the same effort. I was kind of confused on that, but I'm straight now. So this story that we just did is for the Advanced Combat, uh, Amphibious Combat Vehicle. And there's different variants. There's a troop variant. There's a maintenance variant. There's a command and control variant. And then the other effort the Marine Corps is working is this advanced reconnaissance vehicle that's going to replace the LAV. Separate effort. Jeez. excuse myself. Finally, here's an easy story. U.S. Army taps BAE, while we're talking about BAE, for more M109A7 howitzers and ammunition carriers. Of course, 155 self-propelled. We can all get behind that. Just your Domingo defense post, 31 Jan. BAE Systems has signed a deal to produce and deliver additional M109A7 Self-propelled howitzers and M992A3 ammunition carriers for the Army, U.S. Army, valued at $418 million. Uh, Contract deliveries are scheduled through 2025, which is not too far away, only like a year, two years max. Number of units to be received has not been disclosed. This update brings the total value of the production contract signed in 2017 to $2.5 billion. And that's it. More M109A7 self-propelled 155s for the armored brigades. Of course, those things are used in the armored brigade combat teams. How many armored brigade combat teams does the the U.S. Army have? Let me think here. They have 16. There's 11 of them in active duty, and there's five in the National Guard. So there's 16 of those uh, armored brigade combat teams. I think that's right. Anyway, 35 minutes. Not too bad. I knew I was going to get a second episode in over the weekend, and I was glad I was able to do it. Hopefully, it wasn't too tedious. Um, I'll stop right there. That's episode 225 of the books. Thank you very much for listening, and good night.